I always, because I'm a fucking moron, I always forget to ask people how how to pronounce their names before. Fate, Dean Fate. Yep, just like uh, just as fate would have it. Okay, just as fate would have it. (laughs) Dean Fate, author of a book about a living legend, right? I mean, that that is. It's about about. Where are my manners, Mr. Fate? Please introduce yourself. <laughs> well, my name is Dean Fate, and I wrote a book on uh, the living legend. He's a drag racer. He's been drag racing since 1953 on tracks. You know, he did it on roads and so forth before that. Um, and uh, so, I spent about a little less than two years working on a biography about Arnie the Farmer Beswick. Mm-hmm. He's from Morrison, Illinois. He's lived on the, that same bit of property. It's a family farm that's been in the uh, the family for close to, I think, six or seven generations now. Mm-hmm. And he, correct me if I'm wrong, is, is he a veteran? Yes, he is. He, uh, he was in Korea. Uh-huh. Yeah, it, yeah, it's, um, I don't know if you've ever, if you've ever read the book, um, Marine Sniper about Carlos Hathcock. I have not. No. It's, it's this. It's this sniper. He died a while ago, but he's like legendary sniper. Um, he fought in Vietnam. He's famously took out a Viet Cong general. Um, he had ninety three confirmed kills, I think. But the thing is, is there's kind of this parallel. Both veterans parallel between him and Mister Bestwick is both got. So Carl Hathcock was in. He was in a, some troop carrier, and they ran over mm-hmm. a landmine. He had burns over most of his body, but same with Mr. Beswick, and both of them kind of have this. They had this, this like glorious comeback to where he he couldn't he couldn't go fight anymore, but up until his however old he was when he died, he was still he was still acing competitions. He'd have to tie like a leather belt around his arm so that his cuz like his skin he couldn't even grip without like bleeding but it just kind of wow. makes me think it's that same like beautiful like resurrection story of, like you can't kill me and the the one thing the one thing I did look up kind of I was just watching videos of him the tameless tiger and it's like this dude is in his 80s or now now 90s I think yeah he just uh May 7th he'll turn 91 <laughs> And he's in this—he's in this twelve hundred horsepower car, not even a car, a monster. And he's yeah. doing drag racing. I think it said it goes up to like hundred and ninety miles an hour. Am I exaggerating? No, it's uh, his fastest that he ever went in in the the new Tameless Tiger, the GTO, was two hundred point oh three miles an hour at like uh, what was it seven oh five? I think it was the elapsed time. <laughs> <laughs> It's yeah. It's this dude. What it, he's kind of you know he's also like there's a guy named Billy Waugh who uh, fought in Korea is still alive. Okay. Billy Waugh fought in Billy Waugh was in a movie theater when he remembers a sheriff coming in turning off the film and saying the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. Billy Waugh is an old guy, and uh, wow, yeah, fought in Korea, fought in Vietnam, um, hunted uh, the the jackal, famous terrorist. Um, was went from uh, Mac V Sog, which is like the original. If you can't tell my podcast style, it's all over the place. I know we're doing an episode about a drag racer, and we're three minutes in talking about CIA assassins. But anyone that watches this show knows that this is this is par for the course. Is um, right. But this guy went and worked for the CIA, the Special Activities Division, which was the inspiration for uh, James Bond. 
and okay. f- for the author of James Bond was the Special Activities Division. Point being is this guy was 72 on 9-11, still went and fought in Iraq as like an undercover covert ops agent. Now he's in his 90s. But there seems to be this parallel between guys like Billy Waugh or Arnie Beswick that it's there's almost a romantic, it seems like destiny, doesn't it? That these guys, it's just they're, they're going to go to the end of time. Exactly right. Yeah. 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 It's it's it's. What so? What was? I know you covered it, but what, what like what got you into this? So another thing I do about this podcast is I have on people from all walks of life, right? I've had on a guy from the IRS. I had on a guy that walked on the moon. I've had on Delta Force guys. I'm a biology major. The thing okay. I like talking to people that are passionate about anything. I don't care what they're passionate about. If someone's genuinely passionate about something, to me that is the most fascinating thing. And so. For someone like me who barely knows how to turn his car on, and that's about the extent of the knowledge I'll ever have about about my, you know, my awesome, my tameless tiger, my Honda Civic, that puppy doesn't mean zero to 60. And under- I just put gas in it and drive it type of thing. Hey, it does zero to 60 in under a half hour. It's beautiful. There you go. Yeah. But what what is it that, that, that got you into this? When I... When I moved to the Quad City area, um, specifically Moline, Illinois, back in in 1990, I had never heard of him. And uh, uh, then that spring at a Pontiac race, he was there, and uh, um, and I met him. And over the over the years, uh, we'd bump into each other here or there, but I never really realized how famous he was, how well known his name was, until. Um, I got shown a little 10 minute video it was called start me up and it was him racing his first, uh, uh, they call it the Jake Howard car. Um, it was tiger striped and everything like that. But, and it was, like I said, it was called start me up. Anyway, when the car was on the track, the Rolling Stones song start me up was playing. And then in, when it was in the pits, then you hear track sounds. It was like, this is completely backwards. And so I mentioned that to him and he's, and he said, well, I can't tell you how much call I get for that kind of stuff for videos. And, and, you know, and so that was the, all the challenge that I needed. And in 1996, a friend and I, he, he knew Arnie quite well. So he wrote the script and I did all of the, I did all of the videotaping, all the, the music, everything else. And we put together a two and a half hour video um, that had him and his crew people and old friends and so on and so forth. And that's when I really, really, really got to know him. And in interviewing those crew people, I was so jealous because they all had these cool stories from traveling with him. And I and I vowed right then and there that before he quit racing, I was going to travel with him at least once. And now I'm a veteran probably of dozens, if not hundreds of times. And I have my own stories, obviously, too. Well, so. Well, again, for everybody listening, the book, The Farmer, which you so graciously uploaded for a, a PDF for me, it's I, I felt like such a brat and you did it. And I was like, oh, thanks, man. It's 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 a uh, I'm I'm a I'm the most I love audiobooks, And if it's not an audiobook, I can get my computer to read it to me. 
and it's in yeah. that, it's kind of in that like shitty Stephen Hawking voice, but it will still <laughs> it'll still read to me, right? And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. not to not to hate on that guy. He's more, more intelligence <laughs> and his pinky than I have in my body. Full disclosure, um, but um, yes, for everybody listening, the the farmer it is on Amazon. Are you gonna put it on Audible? Are you gonna? Is it gonna get on Audible? I don't know. Um, my dad just passed away from Parkinson's. Uh, uh, last fall and and i had talked to my stepmom about doing that making it available for him and uh, uh you know i have access to a radio station so i so suppose i could but i don't know well, we'll I, see i i think you i've actually had on two guys on this and i full i i have no idea how expensive it is i have no idea i love audiobooks and i whenever i have on guys that their book is on it's on kindle but not i always end up pestering them i'm not paid by audible i fucking should be it, it, audible if you're listening i fucking should be it's um but um no i'm actually friends with with two guys uh, that i've had on this podcast who are narrators um but the point being point being is for everybody i'll put that honest with all the books i'll put it in the description stick it in the top comment it is on amazon when you said you have all of your own stories like your personal stories do you have stories that are that you didn't put in the book um well there's stories about when he was a, in, a kid that I didn't put in the book, um, and I'll tell you one of those. Yeah. So, so him, he's riding with his parents. They go into Morrison to go to see a movie, and so his parents go in to see the movie. So him and his buddy that were with him decide that they're going to take his parents' car for a little joyride. So they... You know they know roughly how long the movies last, and so they they you know they ride around town and so on and so forth. Well, when they come to, it's time to bring the car back. Somebody had parked in the parking spot where the where the where the his parents had originally parked, and so he panics. But then he he calms down enough, he, and so they try the doors on the on this four door that's parked in the wrong space, and and the drivers side or front and back are both locked and the the passenger side front door is locked but they forgot to lock the the passenger rear door and so they crawled in and of course these are three speed you know manual transmissions when there's no locks on any of the you know the steering wheels or anything like that so they they put it in neutral push it back over one spot and so they could park his parents car in the right spot again <laughs> I think I, I think it, it kind of makes me think of like Ferris Bueller. You know, they push the, they're like, "We'll just unwind it," and it just goes through the. You know, as, as I get older and I rewatch that movie, it, you kind of see that early on. It's like, "Oh, they broke their dad's car," and like as you watch it older, you're like, "Dude, this is the kind of thing. This is the repressed rage that I don't care." I don't care. Tell him he loves that car more than he loves. When I watch it now, I'm like, oh, this is a lot darker than I thought. Yeah, but, yeah man. It's so I've always wondered this, right? Is obviously you know, there are things like Formula One racing where it's right. you know you see the million dollar carbon fiber whatever, and it's like this shuts off a millionth of a or this shaves off a thousandth of a second, and because that's what the races come da- uh, come down to. Um, sure, and it is. It is so Beswick had and he was disqualified after one of the races, right, for uh one of the cylinders that was one one thousandth of an inch too too wide. But it was after the race, so it had clearly expanded from the heat. Yeah, it was it was so hot he couldn't touch it. And so 
you know, he should have waited till it cooled down. That was in 1961 yeah. at the at the U.S. Nationals NHRA race. And, you know, and and those races were big even back then. Mm-hmm. It, but it was it was clearly political, you know, yeah. and that because Mickey Thompson was there with like five or six cars and he had donated a bunch of prizes and cash as sponsorship. And so he was to be the winner. You know, that was no ifs, ands, or but about it. And this is not in the book, but years later, uh, one of one of Arnie's friends that also worked with Dino Don Nicholson, you know, mm-hmm. one of, and they're, they were both fierce competitors. His name was Dick Estevez, and he just recently passed away too. But he told me that that years later, Wally Parks, head of NHRA, came to Don Nicholson and apologized because it was all politics. It's yeah. It seems like a hit job. It, it, <laughs> yeah. seemed, it seemed like a hit job. There was my grandmother passed away several years ago. Um, she actually has she qualified for. I mean, I don't know when it was. It must have been the it must have been the forties or the fifties when she was young. She qualified for the Olympics or was supposed to. She, uh, okay. I still have the medal somewhere where, where they gave her second. She got in first place. There's even like a picture of her getting out and taking her cap off. Yeah. And then as soon as the person in second place who she, my grandmother beat her so soundly. I mean, she was getting out, taking the swim cap off when the other person finished and they gave the trophy to the other person. It was the same thing though. It was like the, the second place person's parents were friends with like the whoever was in charge of it. And it was this whole thing where it was there's like a picture of my grandma getting out and finishing and like the other woman yeah. like still splashing. And she ended <laughs> up going to the Olympics instead of my. But it's one of those things where it's like, man, like that, it it, it just kind of destroys any authenticity from it. So the point is, though, is when they measure it down to one one thousandth of an inch. How easy would it be or how hard would it be? This is how my, I mean, clearly not sportsmanlike mind works is how, how do they tell that you're not, it, basically, are there, are there legal or, or illegal modifications to the cars that you could make? Because it's, you know, it's, it's, you want it, you want to use every competitive edge, right? The tiniest yeah, thing, right. football teams do it where they pipe in louder crowd noises, right? Or, you know, football deflated ball or whatever it is. Maybe you want it, you, you want it set the stadium set differently so the sun's coming down in their eyes or in the, the Celtics in the 1950s and 60s, the Boston Celtics, the basketball team. Um, Red Auerbach, their uh, coach, used to. I think he turned off the air conditioning in the opposing team's locker rooms, and he'd mess with the water so they'd get like this dirty. Th- I mean, real bullshit moves. But at that level of competition, I mean, they'll do anything to win, right? And it's only cheating if you get caught. I say all that to say it's got to be impossible to know unless you strip down every car after every race. Could you not be putting? illegal things in there yeah it, it well they always had to do teardowns you know for especially yeah. for NHRA so so you had to take one uh the intake and then one uh, uh cylinder head off so they could measure the the bore and stroke and so forth like that and and but you know like I said a thousandth and a half if he, even if he had tipped the micrometer just a little bit that would have that would have read over two, yeah. you know. So not having it perfectly level 
would have would have worked. Yeah. You know, so it was like I said, it was all politics. Yeah, I mean, yeah, something at that level. I mean, you could have right. That's when I get on my scale and I and I weigh my fat ass. I know that if I, you know, if I so much as move the scale a little bit and it's not directly in the middle of like a floorboard, <laughs> that, yeah. will, that will throw my, and I'll be like, hey, look, I'm 0.2 pounds lighter. And it's like, exactly. I'm lying yeah. to myself. My scale knows I'm lying. God's watching, he knows I'm lying. But, you know, sure. it's a deceptive lie I keep to, you know, keep myself going. Yeah. Uh, but I've always wondered things like that. Like, you couldn't you... I just think of almost like have you ever seen those like immigration videos at the border where they'll like they'll like strip down a car or something and there will be someone like hiding in like the wheel well or oh, wow. or like bricks of cocaine, you know, what pick your poison. Yeah. And it's like unless you're going to strip down every car, you can't be sure that that's not coming through every time. Right. Obviously, things like the Absolutely. airport or the TSA, they, you know, they do the backscatter thing and they can you know metal detectors. It's different. But I've always wondered that with something like NASCAR or Formula One, like how do they how do they ensure that someone's not a thousandth of something over or under? I mean, do they truly have to strip down every car? Yeah, I, I believe so. I believe so. Okay, so, well, at least they did back then. All right, well let's 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 flip the question. If you had to, if you had to get through with some contraband, you're the expert. How would you do it? If you, and I don't mean like cocaine. I mean like contraband things in the race. I don't know, like a nitrous tube or something, or or a, or like a, a rocket or whatever. It's racing today is a lot different than than it was well, yeah. back then. Class racing. Uh, was everything back then and today it's bracket racing where you just you pretty much just dial what your car is going to do and 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 that's you know if you got if you get there too soon you break out and mm-hmm. that's what they call it mm-hmm. you know or if you don't run fast enough you get beat by the other guy mm-hmm. so you know it's 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 a lot different world you know NHRA still has its classes and so forth and they do the teardowns and so forth for them mm-hmm. but it's not like it was back in sixties, in the sixties, and so forth, when Arnie was running. Mm-hmm. So, have you ever heard that theory that uh, some of the early racers in the like the fifties and the sixties and the seventies? There's like a conspiracy theory that those guys it was actually a way to like launder money from the early granted this is based in as a biology major clearly i have no history in in, in nascar racing but it's like from the south there's this like conspiracy or urban myth or whatever that it was the moonshine runners and they had cars that were always jacked up so that one you couldn't tell that they because you know how the backs would kind of sag down that's how they the cops could tell um it was that and they also were souped up not street legal so that if they oh, were getting pulled over they could just you know you're down in south georgia this you know, it's the 60s there's no you know there's no internet there's no cctv if you can get away from the cops you're good you're in the middle of nowhere you know pretty go, much, pretty go pull much, off yeah. into the woods somewhere there's like a that's, that's a well-known fact that the nascar racers came out of the 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 moonshine okay business, well good so. now i don't feel so well again that shows how little i know that i'm like hey have you heard of the conspiracy theory and you're like <laughs> you, like you moron that's a fact <laughs> hey, have you heard of? yeah but okay well now i feel stupid but yeah i always thought it was a conspiracy theory that they came out of that in a way you know they just kind of converted it to like well shit you know it's like 
you know, it's the idea that recently in the last 10 years, the special forces have bought these planes called, um, called, uh, I think Draco and they look like Cessnas. They look exactly like Cessnas, but they're like painted matte black one propeller. It's the last thing you'd ever think of when you think of like seal team six or Delta force. It's just this little shitty, you know, kind of plane. Yeah. But what's kind of coming out now is everyone's like, why do these look exactly like Cessnas? Like, well, it's like, well, I mean, for like 50 years, who who is flying these things over the border? Below radar, full cocaine. These, they yeah. clearly prove that they're worth their salt. Like, <laughs> they can get below radar. So finally, it's like, if you can't beat them, join them. The special forces adopted them. And it's like, well, we've evaded U.S. radar. Then clearly we can evade anyone else's radar. So, yeah, I always thought that was interesting, though, is like, who else would do it better than people who... It's kind of like Talladega Knights. Right? Have you seen that, yeah. Will Ferrell? Yeah, it's been a while. Been yeah. a, been uh, a while. Oh well, for everybody listening. Well, point is, is clearly I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, is someone like you? Do you look at racing today, and and I don't say this in a in a bad way. Are you more of a purist? Do you look at how like the nostalgic races or like the funny cars? Like, do you look back at those and kind of view those as as genuine versus today? You know, people like my dad, they look back at like the seventies NBA and they hail that as like the real NBA versus today. It's just kind of like, eh. Not so much, I guess, um, because I work, you know, every weekend out at the track as the announcer out there. And then, um, the camaraderie is the best. You know, Arnie has said that if we had the, the same kind of camaraderie in the world as 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 what is is at the racetrack, there wouldn't be any wars. And I and I firmly believe that. You know, it's just it's even even the though you might be racing against a guy that you don't necessarily like, mm-hmm. if he breaks apart and you have an extra one, you know, you help him out. They yeah. they all yeah, and that's you know, and then the families where you have um, maybe the dad is racing a big car, and then they the, they start the kids at eight years old in what they call a junior dragster, and and so it's it becomes a family affair, you know. So yeah, have you ever sat in a drag car? Uh, yes, yes, I have. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's it's a different it's a different feeling. Yeah, yeah. It's um. So, again, you'll have to excuse me, but as someone that knows it much better than me, what what is the most interesting facet of it to you? Like, I don't know if I'm asking – again, when I have on Dale Comstock of Delta Force, I ask him stupid questions, and every once yeah. in a while I kind of have to give him the mic and be like, you guide it, and I'll be able to follow – what what do you want to talk about? What What is most fascinating about all of this to you? Well – this is probably my greatest accomplishment in life. I, I got to tell you, I, it, it was it was the, the contract said I was supposed to have it done in a year and I got it done in 15 months, which other authors have said, well, that's not too bad. And uh, even even before I signed the contract, I said, what if I can't meet my deadlines? And and Wes, my editor, said, well, if you go nine months and we don't see any results, they'll pull the plug. But if we see progress, we'll we'll work with you, and I'm certainly glad that they did. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, yeah, 
So it's, like I said, it's a lot of pride, a lot yeah. of pride. Yeah. Is it something where, where you knock it out and you never want to do it again? Or is it something that you knock out the first one and you think you take a little time off, but then you go, I can do another one. I don't know. Um, I've been asked that before and, and I've said about this book that I'm glad I wrote it. His story needed to be told, but what they, I'm glad I don't have to do it again. Yeah. So that's the, that's the simple answer there. Um, and I kind of said what I needed to say all in, you know, in, in this book. And so, um, and I don't, and I don't know other racers like as well as I know Arnie, you know, it, if you probably picked up on it, he's like a father to me. Mm -hmm. And, and, uh, some of the, some of the track owners have even said, you know, they've come up to me at a, at a, at a banquet or something like that and said, how's your dad doing? And I'm like, uh, how does he know my dad? He lives down in Las Vegas. And then, then they say, no, I'm talking about Arnie. It's like, Oh yeah. Okay. You know, that's beautiful, man. Yeah. Yeah. Is that what your hoodie is or your sweatshirt is? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Fuck yeah. So. <laughs> Hell yes. That, 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 the, I, I looked up a video on YouTube. I'll, I'll put it in the description for it. That thing pulling up, it sounds like a fighter jet. Yeah. Just yeah. idling. I mean, Jesus Christ in heaven. <laughs> it's, 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 yeah, well into, or not almost, yeah, in his 90s now. Um, yeah, Mr. Fate. As I told you um, today, we got have to do a shorter one, so let's wrap this one up. Um, okay. Hold on. So for everybody listening, it will be in the description. It'll be sticky in the top comment. Um, and Mr. Fate and I talked before this. We're going to do another one. So everybody, thank you for listening. But Mr. Fate, hold on. I want to talk to you real sec. Stop, sure. Stop recording. <laughs>